0: Welcome to Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I'm your host. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Fides is Latin for faith and truth, and that's what we do on this show is talk about truth talk about faith. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, the great song that you're hearing in the background was my friend Frank Camp. You could find him on Spotify. Great song. This song is called Heaven Can Wait. But thanks for being here, and let's get right to it. Okay, and welcome to another edition of Feed A's podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I'm your host, and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. It's going to be my new saying from now on in honor of the great Rush Limbaugh. Um, I'm here today with, uh, with I'm really excited at my with my guest. Uh, his name is Jonathan Van Maren. Uh He's a columnist, an author, speaker, podcaster, and an activist. Jonathan, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. I've I've actually done, um, you know, I find, you know, great guests based upon things that I see that you're writing or you're doing. Um, and you're taking on a lot of uh, really great issues. You have a website, sort of the tagline is from the front lines of the culture wars. Tell us, tell us kind of what your overall premises and your goals are as an activist and a writer and speaker.
1: Sure. So the website's actually <clears throat> the bridgehead, and and a bridgehead is a is a position totally surrounded. Uh, and as Ronald Reagan once famously put it, um, "When you're totally surrounded, it's easy to find an enemy. Just yell charge, and you'll find one." Mm-hmm. And that's very much the position I think of of traditional Christians in in today's culture. So uh just to kind of run you through the list i'm I'm the communications director for the canadian center for bioethical reform which is a pro-life organization that educates uh, the public on the truth about abortion and the truth about who the pre-born child in the womb is and so my day job is facilitating pro-life education to to millions of canadians along with the phenomenal team uh, that we work with Uh, i also write columns for, for a number of different places and then i post all of those at the bridgehead so i write for I uh, just had a couple of columns up recently at First Things, the American Conservative, uh, LifeSite News, the European Conservative, that sort of thing. And so, in that context, I sort of opine on cultural issues at uh, writ large, because of course, abortion doesn't happen in a vacuum, and and it does feel like uh, that at this point, Christian communities are surrounded by a secular culture that has has totally lost its center, and that we find ourselves facing. We find ourselves facing just the, the most bizarre attacks on even reality. There was a headline on the BBC last week announcing that the British government would be referring to pregnant women as mothers because that's news. Because that's how crazy things are now. Yeah. So that, that's the short summary.
0: Yeah, that's good. No, that's great stuff. Really great, great things that you're doing. Like I said, I've I've um, I've read a lot, a lot from you, and seen a lot of your posts, and they're really great. So everybody, you know, it seems that has. Uh, that's involved in activism, I believe, and you're doing really great stuff. Has usually has a story, uh, maybe if what what motivated you to get into it, a background or something like that. You know, what, what what's yours? Do you have a a, a reason or an impetus that kind of got you into being an activist and a writer?
1: Yeah, sure. So so writing has always been my passion. I've been sort of writing since I was in the sixth grade. And when I went to university, I wrote for the campus newspaper. I got some journalism training and I wrote for a couple of other newspapers at that time. The reason I ended up in the pro-life movement, which was not originally my plan, my original plan was actually academia. Uh, with a focus on history, mm-hmm. was in my uh, first or second year of university, first year, actually, um, one of my professors was talking about abortion. And I realized that although I'd grown up in a pro-life home, I had no idea how to articulate or defend my position. Mm-hmm. I googled abortion to learn a little bit more about how to defend my position and ended up watching a, an abortion video from start to finish, watching a, a, a human child get literally torn apart with, with, with metal tools. And uh, that video, it's it's fair to say, completely changed the course of my life because realizing that this was happening on a daily basis, 3,000 times a day in the United States, 300 times a day in Canada, um, just gave me a totally different view of the society around me. And I joined the, the pro-life club on campus. I eventually ran the, the campus club at Simon Fraser University, uh, started engaging in pro-life activism wherever I could. And then after university... I joined the uh, Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform to help develop a nationwide plan to impact Mm. public opinion on abortion. So that's sort of the short version of how I ended up here.
0: Yeah, that's great. And, and you see a lot of stories like like that, uh, you know, whether it's in your case where you watched or saw a video or maybe in, a lot of people are pro, post-abortive or mm-hmm. something of that nature. There's It is usually something that kind of pushes you into seeing, my God, we got to end this. Uh, it almost reminds me of, uh, you know, it probably took in some cases during times of slavery, it took people seeing slavery in, in action and seeing mm-hmm. the treatment To really move them and motivate them to move forward. Um, So, so you're a very multi-talented guy. I I will admit it was very difficult to do research on you because you do so much. You're, you know, all the writings, you write books and and articles and podcasts, and you're really uh, quite, quite exceptional. Um, One that caught my eye um, is, is your, I believe it's your latest book, the uh, Patriots, Is that's Mm -hmm. your latest. Um, It's the untold story of Ireland's pro-life movement. And the reason that that was interesting to me is I, I've, Actually, had a guest um, from Pro Life um, Irish Pro Life USA, uh, John Byrne. He's uh, he was on Mm -hmm. my show, and um, and I and I just wanted to maybe get your overall, you know, about this book. What motivated you to write it? Because here you are, a Canadian writing about Ireland. Uh, Obviously, it's a it's a similar you know topic that you are passionate about with Pro Life. But tell us about the about this book and uh, what motivated you to write it.
1: The genesis of the book is actually pretty easy to explain, um, because I work for a pro-life organization. Obviously, I've been in connection with, with the Irish pro-life movement for years. Because you know, the pro-life movement is a, it's a big community, but it's also a small community, in that, and that, it's pretty easy to get to know the leaders worldwide fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we were invited to come to Ireland prior to the uh, the eight, the campaign to end the Eighth Amendment. Uh, in 2018. And so we -hmm. we went there and we just volunteered for the pro-life organizations there, knocking on doors, passing out leaflets, just basically sort of doing whatever they asked us to. And it was a really incredible experience because the the, the pro-lifers there were just such phenomenal people. Mm -hmm. And I know this is true Everywhere you find uh, pro-life organizations, but they really were just quite exceptional. And so back in Canada, uh, one of the things I do for CCBR is I do strategy research, and I really wanted to kind of get a handle on why uh, the campaign to save the Eighth Amendment, the Save the Eighth Campaign, had lost. And so I, I started doing research into a couple of different questions, such as, you know, can a nation that's undergone a sexual revolution maintain um, a ban on abortion? Or does legalization of abortion inevitably follow the collapse of sexual morals? Um, it, could the campaign have done something differently? Or was this sort of a, an inevitable conclusion to a 35-year battle? Um, and at the time I was doing this research, of course, the the, the narrative in the media was, you know that Ireland had been dragged, uh, dragged kicking and screaming, uh, you know, out of the medieval era into the 21st century, with the message being that the legalization of abortion was inevitable. Which was just that story bore no resemblance to the people that I met and spoke with. It bore no resemblance to the campaign that I had worked with. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, in conjunction with a documentary uh, whose release has been delayed uh, due to COVID, but the the Irish were working on a documentary on the Eighth Amendment, and um, I wrote a book basically to accompany. Uh, That documentary telling the real story of how the Irish pro-life movement kept abortion out for 35 years. Uh, They saved over 200,000 lives. Uh, When you're in the numbers, they saved roughly 5% of the existing Irish population. So what they accomplished really was extraordinary. And then, of course, taking a look at how the pro-life message was silenced by big tech Um, how difficult it was for them actually to get their message out and and what actually unfolded there. So that was a story really worth telling. It's a very good story for for those of you listening who think that sounds boring. I know how the story ends. It's very much human story. And I promise you that the story that you've heard and the story that you think, you know, is not the story that you'd read in the book.
0: Yeah, no, no, that's great. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I have, I am in the process of getting it and I'm, I'm excited to read it. And uh, I I know I have um, a number of listeners uh, from the Irish community. Uh, and including in the United States and in Ireland, so that's fantastic. Um, I, I've had a few guests on my program uh, from Canada, and each one of them has said, in in talking about the life issue, some were about abortion, some euthanasia and the like, and each one of them has said, um, "Be careful, America. What you what's it's coming to you, right? In other words, what we have in Canada is coming to the United States." Um, and I'm not sure that that's not the other way around anymore. And you, you had written an article called America has become the primary that this may not be the title. Sorry. This is just my notes. America Mm -hmm. has become the primary exporter of cultural poison in the world. Tell me about that premise. And I'm not disagreeing with it. It sounds about right to me.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting for me because I have, I have dual citizenship. I was born Mm -hmm. in the U S and, and I, and, and I, and I was raised in, in Canada. So I have, I have, uh, I have sort of a stake on both sides of the border with these issues. When it comes to that, it's it's interesting because the United States is actually the leader uh, on a lot of these issues. And and, and people don't realize that due to the fact that uh, Canada or the United States also has a very vocal, very well organized and very powerful religious right, as well as one of the world's largest and most vibrant pro-life movements. And so uh, because uh, America bashing is very popular in Canada and Europe, They like to portray America as sort of this religious fundamentalist nation being held back by all of the idiots who still believe that life in the womb uh, deserves protection and the the, the traditional family is worth defending. But in reality, if you look at what America's primary exports are, uh, it's Hollywood films, it's TV, Mm -hmm. uh, it's digital pornography. Um, it's, it's, it's music. Uh, we can blame the Brits uh, for, for, for some of the uh, explosion of, of pop, but a lot of this stuff originated in the U.S. as well. And so culturally speaking, um, the U.S. is not, is not exporting its, you know, the, the values of its pro-lifers. It's not exporting the values of its Christians. It's exporting the values of the sexual revolution, which is also important to note, began in the United States and then and, and spread around the West from there. Mm -hmm. So, but America has always been a a very schizophrenic nation in that sense, because it is a nation that is has remained enormously religious, considering uh, the 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 sort of mass scale secularization that's happened around the West, but also has uh, been at the cutting edge of, of. Sort of exporting ideologies like critical race theory, which, mm-hmm. you know, the French president was complaining about, like gender identity theory. A lot of these things were cooked up in, in, in American universities and then exported from there. Mm-hmm. And there are now even liberal left-wing European academics that are complaining about, you know, these, these racial wars that are going to be exported to their nations.
0: Yeah no that's it's really really well said i i i completely agree we we uh every country but especially america being the the power that it is has the ability to lead good or bad right mm-hmm. um I want to talk about uh, what I started my show off with? Uh, my whole uh, talent on loan from Rush, and those that are Rush listeners will uh, will know where I'm coming from with that. He used to say, "Talent on loan from God," and and that was just his way of being funny. Um, Rush Rush obviously passed uh, very recently, um, and you had written about him. Uh, in his influence and the like you know tell me about his influence if if any on you or on the influence he had on uh politics in in north america
1: so russia's an interesting guy because he wasn't everybody's taste because when you fill 3 hours of radio every day for mm-hmm. for decades you you tend to inevitably say some things that some people are going to be offended by. Mm -hmm. For me, actually, I didn't hear him on the radio first. That came later. I actually bought his books um, as a young teenager. Um, See, I told you so on the way things ought to be are the Mm -hmm. titles of his two books, just in case anybody uh, wasn't sure of his ego. What I found interesting about him, honestly, because abortion is the issue I'm most passionate about, is I look at figures like him and the impact that they had on making the Republican base pro-life. Because a lot of people don't realize that the GOP wasn't always the staunch anti-abortion party that it is now. And in fact, huge numbers of uh, blue-collar voters who were traditionally Catholic, uh, used to vote Democrat. Uh, Mm -hmm. They became, of course, uh, the the Blue Dog Democrats or the Reagan Democrats later on. But there was a sort of an uneasy alliance between the Republican base and social conservatives for many years. And the fact that Rush had, you know, over 30 million listeners and talked about abortion at every opportunity was in a massive educational effect on what abortion actually was. He described it in blunt terms. Uh, Some of your uh, older listeners might remember his uh, collar abortion, Gimmick that he did for a little bit to prove his point. So if, mm-hmm. a, if a caller was particularly irritating or confrontational, he would, uh, he would disconnect the call with mm-hmm. the sound of a vacuum cleaner hose combined with a distant scream and talk about aborting a caller. And then when people would get angry, and upset, he'd point out, look, if, if that upsets you, like this is happening to real human beings thousands of times a day. Right. And so Uh, Other people, I think, can opine on his broader legacy politically better than me, Um, but my interest in his legacy was primarily focused on the fact that I think that he did a lot of work to educate truck drivers, commuters, you know, people just driving back and forth from work, going on road trips, and he introduced the reality of abortion into hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of vehicles, and for that, I think the pro-life movement owes Rush Limbaugh a debt of gratitude.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I've been a, a, a listener for uh, 20 plus years of his. And, uh, you know, just he, he's all talked about on his show that he's had many uh, Republicans over the years that came to him and said, Hey, listen cut out the abortion stuff, you know, Mm. just, 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 just move on, focus on, you know, the other conservative things. And he'd always protest that and say, absolutely not. We can't do that. He was a strong, strong supporter of Terry Schiavo. If you remember Mm -hmm. that case um, of her and talking about it passionately about the value of life. And he, he talked in very great terms about Pope John Paul II as he was dying and he was sort of dying with dignity. And then um, of course, Rush dies with with great dignity as well. Um kind of a little bit along those same lines and so kind of be the last of what we talk about is something that's probably near and dear to you as somebody who's a writer and a speaker and a podcaster and the like and that is the issue of free speech and censorship. Um I know Canada has had its own issues but we're seeing a lot today with um with the cancel culture of people being taken off social media, limiting social media um, access, uh, you know, literally taking the president of the United States off of Twitter, uh, canceling everything and anything if they don't like it. And uh, we even uh, saw that there were people who in this recent election who didn't know anything about the allegations of the Biden family in in Ukraine and, and all that they were doing. They knew nothing about it, and the media chose not to cover it. Where do you think we're going? What do you think the fight is, and do you think we'll be successful? And and how is Canada with the whole censor, censorship issue?
1: So one of the reasons that this is such a difficult question is because we have sort of a collision of ideologies, and nobody knows what to do. Mm-hmm. So the question really is, what do you do When the new public square is digital and privately owned, Mm -hmm. but it's the way people communicate with one another. And I don't know the answer to that question. So in in Canada, for example, one of the things that we've been doing for years now is we at CCBR design our pro-life projects to get around the gatekeepers because we know the media is not going to cover the issue honestly. We know that most people who have platforms and microphones aren't going to tell the truth about abortion. And so we're out on the streets. We've got displays. We've got signs on trucks, right? Like our projects are designed to ensure that we reach the people regardless of whether or not we have access to uh, other platforms. It's very difficult to know what to do. Um, about big tech censorship now, because my instinct would be that it's a monopoly and the government should break it up. Mm. Um, at the same time, I understand that's not a traditionally conservative perspective. It's definitely not a libertarian perspective. That's easy because I'm not a libertarian by any stretch of the imagination. Um, at the same time, it is really difficult to know what to do because it's not the government cracking down, right? They, you know, like Donald Trump didn't get kicked off Twitter by the deep state. Donald Trump got kicked off Twitter by Twitter, and Twitter is privately owned, and they technically have every right to do so. Right. And so we do we do find ourselves at sort of ideological loggerheads, and I'm not sure what the right answer is. I, uh, I, I spoke with P.G. O'Rourke, the famous essayist, a little while ago and I asked him the question you basically asked me. And he said, all I know is that more or less everything we're going to do about this problem will end up being wrong uh, because it's so hard to figure out how to sort of square the circle. So I don't have an ideologically or otherwise satisfying answer to that question, because I really don't know what the best route is. And I suspect uh, PJ is right. And that we're going to make some mistakes before we find out what the best corrective to this is.
0: Yeah. So maybe even uh, a better Question And one you might be, be able to address is, uh, I, I started following Jordan Peterson, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of came to fame because he objected to being forced by the Canadian government to use uh, different pronouns. Yeah. Right, and he just said, "Look, I don't. I'll maybe call someone. Whatever they ask me to, I just uh, don't agree with being compelled." And yeah. we're we're getting a little bit into that here in the United States with the Equality Act. I don't know, um, you're. Mm-hmm. I believe you wrote about it. I,
1: yeah.
0: Okay. Um, and and where we're getting to the point where it's there's a lot of concerns about uh, it being illegal for. a a church or a religious organization to have a particular opinion and express that on whether it's gender marriage or anything like that, including even abortion, I guess Um, what, what was your take on the equality act?
1: Well, the Equality Act is the most dangerous piece of legislation that, that, that Americans have faced in a very, very long time. Um, most of your listeners will probably be aware of the fact that the the Equality Act was definitively defeated back in the '70s, under the leadership of the legendary activist Phyllis Schlafly, who got smeared mm-hmm. in a in a show aired on Hulu called Mrs. America last year. And now they sort of re re. Uh, resurrected this piece of legislation post Obergefell hoping that uh, they have a better chance of getting it through now, which I think that they do. uh, Unless the filibuster holds, it seems likely that this is gonna end up on Biden's desk. Essentially, uh, the nightmare scenario here is that it eliminates religious liberty because the uh, the Equality Act actually explicitly states that there are no exceptions for religious belief. Um, It it could eliminate pro-life laws in all 50 states. In short, overnight, it could take an ideology that Americans are still battling through uh, in in states right across the country and enshrine it into law. It's a massive it's a massive top down imposition Mm -hmm. of a radical ideology that the majority of Americans oppose under the guise of a word that everybody agrees on. right? Um, Right. They pretend that this is about egalitarianism and that's not what this is all about. So the Equality Act is incredibly dangerous which is why I was, I was very much hoping we'd carry the two Georgia runoff races, but we didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're going to pay the price for that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's very concerning. Obviously it's in the Senate here uh, right now. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but it's, it's, a certainty that if it gets through the Senate, that Joe Biden will sign it. He's, he's, Mm -hmm. um, he's supported it. So uh, yeah, very, very concerning. It's funny, as you said, the Equality Act is, it's a deceiving, I had a guest on who said that pretty much you can take any title of a bill um, put forward by almost anyone in government, both parties, and it's, really the the opposite, right? There's nothing equal about this. There's nothing affordable about the, the Affordable Care Act here right. in the United <laughs> States, right? It's always usually the opposite. Um, uh, well, this, this is great. So um, again, Jonathan Van Maren a really great conversation, really great stuff. Um, if you want to uh, look into, into all of his stuff, his books, his writings, you can go to the Bridgehead CA. So just remember he's from Canada, so it's the bridgehead.CA uh, to check him out. Um, Jonathan, I'll give you the last word or if there's anything you want to put forward or, or talk about that you uh, that you're working on and, and that my guests might be interested in knowing.
1: No, I, I really appreciate you having me out. yeah, if you want to check out any of the books I've written or check out the columns, uh, go to the um, we do, a, I try to keep everybody up to date on everything going on in the culture and what people should know. Uh, and again, yeah, I really appreciate having the opportunity to chat with you.
0: Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Um, I know people, a lot of people are going to look forward I, uh, to you being on and, uh, especially my Irish friends who, uh, who, who all heard about the book and and a couple mm. of them, I told them about having, you know, having you on and they were really excited. So uh, again, Jonathan Van Maren uh, from uh, check out the bridgehead.ca and check out all his good stuff. And uh thanks Jonathan for being here and thanks all of you for joining me today. I appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. with
1: I feel like I've aged a few. Gonna learn to take